Welcome to the Peckway Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. At Peckway, our mission is to transform lives by connecting people with God and with each other. It's our hope that this message will give you hope and encourage you to take the next step in your journey with Christ. For more information about our services and weekly ministries, visit us at peckwaychurch.com. as we begin today worshiping Jesus, giving him praise for what he's done for us in our hearts and our lives. Let praise be a weapon that silences the enemy. Let praise be a weapon that conquers all anxiety. Let it Giants fall. 
this morning. Go ahead and have a seat. It's so great to see you all here. Thanks for coming out. I know it's rainy this morning, so you might have wanted to stay in the bed, right? <laughs> but thank you for being here today. I've dropped a bulletin, I think. Thank you, Fran. <laughs> Thanks. Inside of your bulletin is a great connection card. I'm going to invite you to go ahead and take that out. You can even uh, begin filling it out as I'm talking to you. And online, you're going to find a connect link in the chat window as well. Click on that. It's our digital connection card. And uh, you can fill that out as I'm speaking as well. You can also take out your mobile phone if you're a first-time guest. And you can text the word hello to 717 Eight seven two five six seven nine. Again, that's the word hello to eight seven one seven eight seven two five six seven nine. Also today we are going to be celebrating communion together. So for those of you who are viewing online uh, our stream or maybe uh, anywhere else, maybe not at home, but you can uh, you can grab some bread, maybe uh, some juice, whatever you might have for those elements today. But we want to invite you to participate along with us uh, who are here in the building this morning. If you didn't have a chance to grab a, a communion cup when you came in with uh, that juice and bread, feel free at any time during the service to pick that up. So we'll do that a little later on in our worship time together. We know we uh, have been going through this sermon series and talking about our purpose and what God has, uh, has shaped us to do. And so my question for us today is, what does it look like to be on mission for God? And you're going to see and hear as we talk about that a little bit later, what that's going to mean. But last week we talked about our shape, how God has given us certain spiritual gifts and our, our heart and our abilities, our personality, and then our life experiences. And he has all those things that shape us and mold us to be who he's called us to be. It gives us that purpose we have. And then in turn, that helps us to tell others about Jesus, to share our faith that we have in God. And so we can use those life experiences to do that. But when we do that together collectively, we are at the hands and feet of Jesus, and we're sharing that with other people. So let's take a look at what it means to be the church. One morning I walked into a church, but it wasn't on a Sunday. I looked around and I saw the empty seats the sun glistening through the dust in the air. At first, I was distraught at the sight of the empty chairs. But then, I was filled with joy. I realized that the people who were once in those chairs were now outside of the building, working at their jobs, serving in their communities, laughing with their coworkers and growing with their families. They had the opportunity to be the church, not just sit in it. When will we be like them? When will we see the opportunity given to us to be the hands and feet of Jesus, bringing hope into the world? Stained glass can't pray for the sick. These walls can't preach the gospel, but you can. The building you're sitting in is just a building. But if you trust in Jesus, then you are the church. So my friends, 
It's time for us to be the church, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, and uh, to go outside of these walls and do that. And the way that we can do that is through our stories, the stories that Jesus has used, those experiences that we just mentioned a while ago when we talked about our shape. And so we're going to remind ourselves as as we sing this song together, I'm going to invite you to stand But recall the events that Jesus has uh, changed in your life, the grace and the mercy and the love that he's shown us. Let's sing. Mercy wins of the kindness of 
of being good to you. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. We're going to move into this time of celebrating together God's goodness and through what he did for us on the cross, through his blood, through his resurrection. Uh, for those of you at home, if you haven't taken that moment to go ahead and uh, get things ready for uh, communion, take that moment, find whatever it is, maybe a cracker, bread, or juice, um, and go ahead and have that ready in just a moment as we take communion together. We're going to reflect on, on what Jesus did for us together in just a moment uh, as we, we're going to watch a brief video together just to remind us of what Jesus did for us. But before we do that, just in preparation, um, you know, if, uh, if you're here today and, um, you know, you haven't established a relationship with Jesus, uh, just take this time just to, to think about where you are on your journey with Christ, to maybe think about if you've seen his goodness, if you've seen his mercy, if you've seen his kindness and how he draws us through that. So don't feel any pressure this morning if you're, you haven't taken that step to believe in Jesus today. Um, but just take that time to reflect. And then if you, if you have made that decision, um, you know, this, this is open to everyone who's here today. And again, if you haven't gotten that cup or bread, you can step out real quick and grab one of those or raise your hand. Maybe one of our ushers can bring that to you. Um, but go ahead and uh, let's prepare our hearts together as we celebrate this time. Let's watch. today. Paul writes, the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The body of our Lord Jesus, which was broken for you. Take and eat this in remembrance that Jesus died for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The blood of your Lord Jesus, which was shed for you, drink this in remembrance that Jesus shed his blood for you, and be thankful. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for what you did for us on the cross. Thank you for your sacrifice to rescue us from judgment and death. And that every time we eat the Lord's Supper, we're reminded of your sacrifice and of our rescue. Thank you that you have rescued me by your blood and you died as a ransom to set me free. Thank you that I can now come boldly into your presence every day. Amen.
And as a response to that this morning, I'm going to invite you to stand one more time with me as we celebrate God's goodness, as we tell him how great he is today as we worship him.
praise on him today as we thank him for the sacrifice that he made for us. Jesus, you are worthy of all our praise. May you receive glory and honor as we've lifted you up in this place, as we continue to do that now, as we, uh, as we look at your word, Father, your words to us, at how you are molding us, shaping us, calling us to be your church, God, and that you have created us for this purpose. Would you open our hearts, our minds, our ears to hear what you have to say today? And we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And I'm sure like myself, many of you, as we worship and took a moment just to reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus this morning, had your mind go where mine did, and that is to the sacrifice of what happened 21 years ago on 9-11. I'm sure many of us thought about uh, the fact that two towers that stood in New York City that we never thought would fall, at least I never thought would fall in my lifetime or my kid's lifetime or my grandchildren's lifetime would come down, and yet they did. I don't know about you, but as I reflected on that, even as we reflected on Jesus' sacrifice, my mind went to Proverbs 18.10 that says this in the, the English Standard Version. It says, the, Lord, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. And folks, I share that with you because, again, reflecting on that, I never thought those towers would come down. Not in my lifetime, not in my kids' lifetime. And yet they did. And that just reminds me that whatever we build, whatever we accomplish, whatever we acquire in this life, we can lose. But the name, the relationship we have with Jesus is something we can never lose. And so I just want to encourage you today to just hold on to that and reflect on that as we go into this topic today of living on mission. Because it's why what we just talked about is why the mission is so important. Because other things can be lost. Other things can be taken from us but not a relationship with Jesus. And the privilege we have to help others come into that relationship, to grow in that relationship, is the reason the church exists. So if you haven't already, I invite you to take out your message notes. And as you do, let me just tell you a true story. It's about a 32-year-old man who on New Year's Day confided in a friend that the truth was, he said, I'm so depressed, I'm so discouraged about my life that I'd be willing to die right now, but for one reason that I feel like I've done nothing in life that would ever cause anyone to remember me, to ever remember that I lived. Now just think about that for a second. A 32-year-old man felt that way, that he felt like his life had meant so little, it accomplished such a small amount that he felt like, I'd just die if I could, but for the fact no one would remember that I ever lived. So let me ask you a question in light of that statement. How are you going through life? I mean, there really are two or three options. The first way you and I could go through life is by sleepwalking through it. You know what I mean by that? We, you and I can just really not do much with our life. We, we can go to work. We can get a paycheck. We, we can pay some bills. We can perhaps get married, raise a kid or two along the way. You know, go on a few vacations, a few trips maybe. You know, build a retirement and then ultimately die. That, that's one option. And all the while, we might wish for more. We might even dream for more. We might even pray for more. But the truth be told, we really don't do much 
to get more. We just don't do much. The second option is this, and it's really the other end of the continuum. One, one con end of the continuum is we can just kind of sleepwalk through life. The other end of the continuum is we could race through life. And what I mean by that is we could just run this race of life so fast, so quick, just going after one goal after another, maybe multiple goals at the same time, because after all, we're determined to go for it, right? Whatever it is. It might be a degree. It might be, you know, a career. It might be some, a paycheck. It might be a six-figure salary. It might be building our dream home, buying our dream farm. You know, it might be starting a family, starting a business. I don't know what it is, but we all know what it is. And we could run after it and chase after it. And the same thing, we can, we can dream, we can hope, we can desire for more, but the reality is we're running so fast, so quick, that we never have more. See, we tell ourselves on that scenario, that end of the continuum, we say, you know what, when, when I get success under my belt, then I'll focus on living significantly. And what I mean by that is we'll focus on, you know what, we'll give away a lot of money. We'll give ourselves in service and volunteering. We'll do all those things. But the problem with that scenario, and some of us are living it, is tomorrow never comes. Because there's always one more goal to chase after. One more finish line to cross, isn't there? And so we live our life just in this race toward an unending amount of goals and deadlines and finish lines. But what if I suggest to you there's a third option? An option in which we don't simply sleepwalk through life or we simply race through life, but an option in which we live on mission. In other words, you and I live for a cause. We live for a purpose greater than ourselves. Let me take you back to that story of the 32-year-old. You know, the one I told you that said, you know, I would die except for the fact I don't think anyone would remember I ever lived. Well, 22 years later to the day, he signed a document that set millions of people free. The document we know is the Emancipation Proclamation, and the name he signed to that document, you all know by now, was Abraham Lincoln. Now here's my question for you. What happened in those intervening 22 years? I mean, what, what happened that a 32-year-old man who once felt like my life amounted to nothing, I have nothing to show for it, it has no impact on the world, to suddenly a 54-year-old man that suddenly, in many's assessment, and certainly mine, really changed the world. It certainly changed this country. What happened in between during those 22 years? Well, if you read anything about Abraham Lincoln's life, then you know, and even if you haven't, you probably do know, the change, what happened in those intervening years was Abraham Lincoln made a conscious decision. He made a choice to live his life on mission. And that idea of living life on mission is deeply rooted in the Bible. That's where Abraham Lincoln got it from. It's deeply rooted in the Scriptures. In fact, to help us see that, on your outline, I have just a few examples. And let me just walk you through them this morning. The first one is from Joshua. Joshua speaking to the tribes on the eastern side of the Jordan after the conquest, the, the, the taking of the land, the promised land. And these men now are going back. He's releasing them. And listen to what he says. You have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. And you have obeyed me in everything I commanded. For a long time now, to this very day, you have not deserted your brothers, but have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. And then Samuel. 
a prophet, spoke to the very first king of Israel, a man by the name of Saul, and he said this, although you were once smaller in your own eyes, did you not become the head, that is the king, of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and notice this again, he sent you on a mission. And then God himself, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, said this, The Lord's chosen ally will carry out his purpose. I, even I, have spoken. Yes, I have called him. I will bring him, and he will succeed in his mission. Let's go into the New Testament for a second. When the early church was beginning to explode with rapid, explosive growth, what we read from Luke is this account of what was taking place. Acts chapter 11, verses 20 through 23. It says this, Then some of the men from Cyprus and Cyrene who had come to Antioch started talking to the Greeks, giving them the message of the Master Jesus. God was pleased with what they were doing and put His stamp of approval on it. And so quite a number of the Greeks believed and turned to the Master. When the church in Jerusalem got wind of this, they sent Barnabas to Antioch to check on things. As soon as he arrived, he saw that God was in it all and behind it all. And so he threw himself in with them, got behind them, urging them to stay with it the rest of their lives. Now here's a question I want to ask, and we'll go to the next verse. So how did the church assess their efforts? Because it wasn't just Barnabas. You're going to see in a second that Saul, we know as Paul, joined him there. And let's look at the assessment that the church had of the effort. For it says this in Acts chapter 12, verse 25, Luke tells us, Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, they returned. So they saw it as their mission, their God-given mission, what these men were doing. And Paul, at the very end of his life, in Acts 20, 24, we read this, he says, I only want to complete my mission and finish the work that the Lord gave me to do. And so throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, what we see is this calling to live on mission. So let me ask you, how are you living your life? Let's go back to where we started. Are you, are you simply sleepwalking through life? You know, certainly getting up, going to work, paying some bills, raising some kids, going on some vacations. But at the end, you go, I'm, I don't know if I'm accomplishing much of value for the kingdom of God. Or are you sprinting through life? toward goals and achievement and success that you deeply want and deeply desire. But the reality is, again, when you come to the end of your life, you'd have to admit that not much of it amounted to much in terms of the kingdom of God. Oh, it made you happy. It might have even made you wealthy. But you're saying, you know what? I really don't know if I've done much to make the impact like Saul did, like Barnabas did for the kingdom of God. Or are you like those men living on mission? Be honest with yourself. Where are you in those three categories? Are you sleepwalking, racing through life, or living on mission? Well, here's what I want to say to you. If your heart's desire, however you're living right now, if your heart's desire is to live on mission, then I want you to understand this. You need to know this, that God's plan, God's intention is for you and me, any of us who want to live on mission, He wants us to live on mission in light of the identity in light of the calling, in the light of the unique shape that He has given each and every one of us. But He wants for you and I to do that in two key arenas of life. Two essential arenas of life, and Scott's already alluded to them in the video this morning. And so let's look at the arenas. The first arena is this. It's our vocation. Our vocation. And that word vocation comes from the Latin word vocatio, which means to summon or to invite. 
And so the idea of vocation is the idea that God invites us, He summons us as His servants, as followers of Jesus, to do our work for Him. In other words, what we're really saying there is our work is not just our work. God also intends it to be our worship. And God doesn't simply intend our occupation to be our occupation. He also intends it to be our offering to Him. And yet, folks, that's a major paradigm shift for many of us. And the reason so, and some of you may be even trying to think that through, and let me just talk to you. The reason it's a paradigm shift for many of us is because we typically try to separate our spiritual life from our work lives. We compartmentalize our lives. And so what we see is our work life's over here. That's what we do Monday through Friday. And then on Sunday, we do our spiritual life or our church life. And never do the two ever intermingle. Never do they seem to co-mix. But folks, that's not how God intended. See, they really are supposed to intermingle because at the heart of our vocational calling is not something we're called to, but someone we're called to. Our vocation, our calling, folks, is not to something, it's to someone. So whatever you and I do vocationally, it's supposed to be done for God. It's supposed to be done to God, for it's not just a job, it's not just a paycheck. What God wants us to understand, and that biblical idea, that Latin word vocation, what we need to understand in that, it's not a paycheck, it's not a job, it's our mission field. It's a place where you and I make an impact on the world for God. That's why Paul wrote this. He said, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for human masters. So let me put it this way, folks. Bottom line, so it's, it, in that idea of vocation, we're not simply a real estate agent, if you happen to be a real estate agent. No, instead, we're on mission for God to provide shelter and security for people. Does that make sense? We're not simply a nurse or a doctor. We're to be on mission for God to bring healing and relieve suffering. We're not simply supposed to be a farmer. Folks, we are to be on mission for God for someone who relieves hunger and brings hope. Do you see the difference? Do you see the significance of understanding your work as a vocation? And let me just say this as well, folks. When you and I are on our vocation, we're not to be silent Christians, private Christians. We are to be passionate Christians. In other words, we are supposed to be not obnoxious Christians now. I said passionate Christians. In other words, we're supposed to be men and women by our lives, help people sense and see the spiritual void in their own life. That they see something in us that is so different that they want what we have. That they see us doing our work in a different way, for a different purpose, for a different calling, on a different mission. That's why Frederick Beekner, a tremendous theologian and pastor, said this. This is how he defined vocation. He said, vocation is the place where your deepest gladness meets the world's deepest hunger. Now let me explain that. Here's what he was saying to us. That when you and I are doing what God has shaped us to do, gifted us to do, enabled us to do, folks, that brings deep joy and gladness to your life and mine. Would you agree with that? It makes us happy to be who God created us to be. And when I'm living into that and doing my work, not just simply for my own, fulfilling my own selfish needs, but I have, in doing that, I'm serving God. I ultimately touch and fulfill the deepest needs of humanity. I'm making a difference for God in what I do for my work. 
And so that's the first area that you and I are called to live on mission, is in our work, in our vocation. And as significant as that is, I want to suggest to you there's a second arena that's even more important because this is the arena that God intends for you and me to throw ourselves in fully and completely in missional effort. And some of you have already guessed what the second area is, and that's the church. That's the church. That is the primary area where you and I are supposed to throw ourselves missionally. And yet here's the, here's the reality. Many of us don't see that. We don't get that. And the reason why is because we don't truly appreciate the importance of the church as the body of Christ, nor do we appreciate the fact that we as followers of Jesus are that body. We are that body. That's why Paul put it like this. We are all parts of his one body, and each of us has a different work to do. And since we're all one body in Christ, we belong to each other, and each of us needs all the other. God has given each of us the ability to do certain things well. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, do a good job of teaching. If your gift is encouragement, then encourage others, do it. If you have money, share it generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. In other words, here's what Paul is saying. Let me paraphrase. Paul is basically saying to you and to me, we are to throw everything we are and everything we have into being the body of Christ because that is the only way that the mission that he has for the church can be and will be accomplished. And that's why Paul said something similar to the the Ephesians Christians when he wrote this. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave the church. Now, it's important. Let me just stop there. It's important that we notice he said he gave the church. He gives it to individuals, but it's for the church. It's not for self-fulfillment. It's not for self-gratification. It's not for my self-realization. He gives the gifts for the service to the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. So the whole body is healthy and growing and full of joy. Here's the point. Paul is helping us understand that Jesus' plan was and continues to be for his church, you and I, to be his ongoing presence in the world. In other words, he intends for the church, you and me, to be the means by which he continues to do his redemptive work in the world today. It didn't end with his his ascension. It continues today. And folks, that meaning is clear in the word church. Let me give you a little Greek lesson. Some of you already know this, but just for giggles and grins, let's do it. The word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia. And I won't give you the etymology of that or the background of that, but what it literally means is this. This is what I want you to get. The church in the Greek, ecclesia, means the called out ones. In other words, what that word is telling us, what we need to understand is Jesus calls his followers out of living self-centered, self-serving lives into full-on service to his kingdom. That's what he wants us to understand. You see, in Jesus' day, the word literally was used for any group that was called together for a purpose, for, we might say, for a mission. But Jesus commandeered that word, and he applied it to his people for a very specific mission and purpose. And Jesus wanted us to understand by commandeering that word that his, his ecclesia wasn't just another ecclesia. It was the ecclesia. It was the church. And so anyone that tells us, folks, that the church is a man-made institution, you need to know they do not know what they're talking about. 
Because Jesus made it abundantly clear that he brought the church into being. Take a look at what he says. Matthew records this for it. Jesus said, I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. Now, could Jesus have been any clearer than that? Jesus said, I will put together my church. Not a man, not a woman, not an organization. He said, I will put together my church. And the reason he did it, folks, is so that his, its members, you and I, will continue on his missional work in the world. Which is why the New Testament writers often refer to the church as the body of Christ. Because Jesus' plan was then, and it continues to be now, that he wants to work through his church and accomplish its mission, his mission in the world, just the same way that he worked through his body for 33 years on earth. Just the same way he worked through his physical body, he wants to work through the body of Christ today, the church. So what we need to realize is we fail to engage in the mission. We fail to fulfill our role in the mission, our role in the church, then the mission and the plan that Jesus has for your life and mine will not get done. And I'll just be honest with you folks. I do not want to stand before God and give that account to him. That I did not fulfill my role in the church. That I did not fulfill my part of the mission that you planned for me in your great commission. So what we need to understand is the church is the agent or the agency or the body, whatever you want to call it, through which Jesus plans to change the world. That's his strategy. And the more we bring together unique gifts and abilities, passions and experiences and personalities of the members of the church, the more impactful and the more powerful we will be in that mission. Let me illustrate it like this. Think about it like this, folks. And you probably have all done this, but light, you know, diffuse. In other words, just light in this room, light outside, relatively speaking, has little impact. Now, it makes things grow, and I understand we can see things by it, but it has little impact. Contrast that with what many of us did. I did it all the time. You take a magnifying glass, right? And you focus that light, and you can set things on fire. It was pretty cool, Right? <laughs> You know, we, we can set things on fire, but let me, let me just continue that out. If you really focus it down, what do we create? A laser. And folks, with that laser, we can cut through steel and concrete. Here's my point, folks. That's how the church is supposed to function. The church is to be the one place on earth where God's people, the resources of God's people, are brought together to have a laser-like impact in this world. That's what the church is to be. That's what Jesus envisioned when he said, I will build my church. So that's the call. That's what Jesus intended. That's the church that Jesus created. Here's the question. How can we mess it up? Or to use the language I have in your outline, how can we have missional misfires in your life and mine? Let me give you two. And I think there really are two major ways that we can mess it up. And the first way is this. Is we sit around and we wait for clarity. We simply wait for clarity. And what I mean by that is we can sit around and talk about mission. We can, we can read about mission. We can dream about mission. We can even pray about mission. And yet if we wait for absolute clarity about our part in the mission, I promise you, we'll never do anything about the mission. Think about it like this. Let me give you another illustration. Imagine for a second that you come upon a house that's on fire. And people, the homeowners, are trapped inside. 
Fortunately, you, you find a bucket laying there on the ground, and close at hand is a stream. And, and, but instead of picking up the bucket and dipping it in the water and throwing it on the fire, what we do instead is we begin, begin to walk around the house and analyze the fire. We walk around analyzing, you know, where's the best place to throw the water? Because after all, we want to make sure that we put it in the, most, the place most needed, right? We don't want to squander the water. But we can't get clear on where that place is. And so we wait. And we never throw the water. And in the midst of our inactivity, folks, the house burns to the ground. Now let me ask you this question. Could that be? Could that be? How some, some of us are living our Christian lives, waiting for clarity. If it is, can I just challenge you? Can I challenge us to do this? Can we just throw the bucket of water? Because the reality is, folks, wherever we put it, wherever we throw it, it will make a greater difference than doing nothing with it at all. I had a college professor from Arkansas named Frank Moore, and Frank loved to say, it's easier for God to steer us in the direction He wants us to go when we're moving rather than when we're sitting still. And here's the reason Frank said that. Frank said that all the time because he recognized that the reality is clarity more often than not comes with movement. That with movement comes new perspective, and with new perspective comes clarity. And, and so folks, what I want to challenge us about on this issue of clarity and having a missional misfire in our life is don't be so focused on getting it right, right out of the gate, getting it perfectly, that you never do anything for the mission. Don't be so worried about getting everything perfect right out of the gate that you fail to live a missional life. Just throw your bucket of water. In the process of throwing it, I promise you, you will begin to discern where you can most effectively serve in that mission and fulfill that mission. So the first way we can have a missional misfire in your life and mine is simply wait for clarity. Let me give you the second way we can have a missional misfire. And that is we lack vision. We simply lack vision. After the great fire of 1666 that leveled London, a world-famous architect by the name of Christopher Wren was hired to rebuild, lead the rebuilding of St. Peter's Cathedral. And it took him five years to clear the rubble and, and to get designs put together, and finally in 1671 it began. And as he came to tour the site, he noticed three bricklayers up on a scaffolding. And so Wren approached him and he simply asked him, guys, what are you doing? And the first bricklayer said, well, I'm laying brick to feed my family. The second bricklayer said, isn't it obvious? I'm building a wall. The third bricklayer, who was the most productive and the most energetic, looked at Wren and said, I'm building a great cathedral to the glory of God. Folks, the point of the story is clear, isn't it? The reality is we can so lack clarity about the mission, folks, that we don't see what God can do through the work that we're doing. We can be so lacking clarity, folks, that we cannot see what God can do through us. That's why knowing that we are called by God to live on mission is so important. Because what that does when we recognize that, that, is, that compels us, that moves us to throw the bucket of water. And then simply trust God that He can do something great through what we do. But for that to happen, 
You and I first need to shift our lives out of park or at least neutral and begin moving forward on mission. So my question for you this morning is this. Are you ready to do that? Are you ready to to courageously look at the life you're living in comparison to the life you long to live? Are you willing to look at the life you're living in light of the life that you know God created you to live, and therefore you know you need to live to the glory of God? Are you ready, folks, to be done with sleepwalking through life or perhaps racing through life to yet another finish line that won't make a hill of beans difference to the kingdom of God? If you are, then I want to encourage you today. Make the decision today to begin marching to the drumbeat of God's mission for your life. Because that truthfully was the reason why you are uniquely called, created, and shaped by God. He has a mission for you to complete. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, it's clear to us at least to me, from your word and preparation this week, that your plan for our lives is for us to fulfill the mission you created us to fulfill. And so I pray today for each and every one of us here, including myself, that we will have the courage to do that and not walk away today in fear or disobedience because of a lack of clarity or a lack of vision. Thank you for inviting us to be the church and as a church for allowing us to be a part of the greatest mission in the world, the mission of sharing the good news of your love with other people. Now I want to give you just a moment to pray, and I just suggest maybe for some of you, you just pray something like this. Would you just say, God, more than anything else in life, I want to fulfill the purpose for which you created me. And so this morning for the first time, or maybe for, the, for once again, you would say to him, I'm accepting my mission in life. Use me any way, anyhow, anytime. For more than anything else, today what I want to do is I want to help others begin to know and then to follow Jesus. I want to serve your mission with my life, and I want to help my church, Peckway Church, to do the same. Because, Father, I don't want myself or any of us here today to come to heaven alone. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jerry. So, did you make that decision today? Maybe you... um, said you prayed that prayer about wanting to know what your purpose is, what God has shaped you to do. We have a resource that we gave out last week, and if you didn't get that resource or you haven't done it yet, um, I encourage you to go ahead and take that inventory. If you didn't get it, there's, I think, some out at the the, uh, kiosk there by the double doors as you exit. If you don't see them, See one of us, and we can uh, see about getting that to you, that, uh, that spiritual gift inventory and the shape inventory. And maybe if you prayed that prayer, why not take a step of faith today? Um, we have a mission opportunity for us that's coming up here uh, very soon, and that's in your bulletin this morning. It's Fall Fest. 
Uh, Missy shared with me, it takes over 70 volunteers for us to be able to uh, go ahead and operate uh, the Fall Fest. And so that's our, one of our opportunities we have to be the church, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. So you can scan that QR code that's in your bulletin there. You can write on the back of your card this morning, Fall Fest. Um, online, you can do that as well. There will be a blank in that, uh, in that uh, online connect card. So I'll ask our host to go ahead and put that in there again. But would you pray about that? Take that step of faith. Take that next step this morning and, uh, and go ahead and uh, live out your calling, live out your purpose. And so as we do that today, uh, I want to uh, also just remind you that we have a Bible study coming up that's going to help us as well with being the community, being the church of God, and then going out and serving the community. Um, so that's 40 days of community, and that's going to be coming up very soon, I think, next week. Uh, so as we reach out, as we serve together, as we uh, serve our purpose that God has given us, he's going to strengthen us and grow our faith. I appreciate your attention today. I enjoyed worshiping with you. I hope to see you again next week as we do it again, and I hope the rest of your week is great. So see you then.